This is movie hopping or movie hall of fame or whatever you want to call it for Monday, October 7, 2019. Has that become our opening line now when we're not sure what the show is? This is this, this is that, whatever you want to call it. Well, I mean, of course, it's whatever you want to call it, because this podcast is for the listener as much as it is for us. It's whatever it wants to be. It has no identity. Is that what you're saying? Right. No political agenda. Exactly. Nothing. It doesn't believe in anything. Yeah. So you (laughs) just consider this your empty canvas and you can paint on it whatever you want, listeners of the show. Um, I think today it's called Movie Hopping. It kind of sucks, though, because I just got used to calling it Movie Hall of Fame. You just got used to you know? it? Like it just flew out of you? Yeah. And right. now I'm I'm confused. Well, so I don't know. You're always confused, Nico. It's not that bad. That's true. Not that much different. I'm this... off my meds. <laughs> now I'm scared. <laughs> I'm off my meds, Nico. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Okay. <laughs> Very different reactions. Good morning, Adam Hall. Good morning. How you doing? I'm good. It's early. Yeah. Um, We don't normally record this early. Mm-mm. In fact, normally... We wait till like midweek to record this show and we release it on Thursdays. But you had to talk, man. You were jazzed. I have some things to get off my chest. (laughs) Just figures. Yeah, I just have some things I need to say in front of a microphone because um, there's a movie out Mm -hmm. and we both saw it. You saw it opening day. Yeah. I saw it the following day. Uh, Along with much of America. Yes. Doing very well at the box office, this Joker. Again, not surprised. No. Well... I'm surprised about some things. I'm not surprised about the box office returns. Mm. I'm sure, yes, people are seeing the movie and people are enjoying the movie. Um, but this is just what we've been waiting for in terms of podcast content, right? Yeah, like the hot topic. Yeah. Why this is the hot topic, I don't know. <laughs> but it is. It was Ghostbusters a little while ago. And, <laughs> and now it's Joker. <laughs> I didn't think about it that way, but you're right. Yeah, every once in a while, a movie just comes out and it captures the national attention. Controversy is a funny thing, isn't it? It is. It's a funny thing how people process things and where they ultimately land on something. Or just the build-up to something that they haven't seen yet. Right. It's fascinating. Well, yeah. I mean, the thing is, too, trailers are fascinating. Mm. Because certain trailers, I think, and certain media campaigns will sort of capture audiences' attention for random reasons. Like, sometimes you'll just see, oh, the It Chapter 1 trailer is now the highest viewed trailer in the history of YouTube. And you're like, what Like, what about that spoke to people watching two-minute clips on YouTube? And I think Joker was something similar. The yeah. trailer came out and everyone's like, oh, this is different. Like, yeah. something here is different than what we're used to. And I need to be a part of that in some way for the good or for the bad. And I think people were <laughs> reticent to do both, right? Not reticent to do both, I should say. Uh, I don't know what people were thinking. I guess <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I, I. I. I don't know how audiences were were going into this movie. I certainly know critics were. There. There, there were some agendas getting thrown around over there. Yeah. Unfortunately. Well, what else is new, right? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but it's irritating. It's very irritating. I just wish they saw the movie. <laughs> well, they have now. Yeah, they, they, they've seen it. Yeah. Um. So I'm gonna let you go. Me go. Yeah. I'm gonna what? wind you up and. Let you let you fly. Oh God! Um, I mean, okay. Uh, I mean, yeah. I saw the movie opening night with my brother and my girlfriend, both of which were very, very excited to see this movie. Uh, wow! Very excited. Yeah. You know, my mom is excited to see this movie. What the? That's that's amazing. It's funny. Abby's parents were excited to see it, and then the rest of her family went. 
Yeah, um, I don't know what about this movie is is just capturing people's imagination and spirit. Maybe that's not a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's definitely not. Uh, I, I had to tamper my mom's expectation, though. I had to tell her, like, no, you're actually not going to enjoy this. Because she doesn't, she really just doesn't know what this movie is, and I think a lot of people don't understand what this movie is. No, I, I, I honestly, I kind of walked out to walk, walked out of it with a similar feeling of like I, I got like Midsummer vibes. Not to say that it's yeah. as disturbing as Midsummer, but I had that feeling where I'm like, like this thing exists, <laughs> right? Well, that's certainly true. <laughs> like this was very surprising to see. I thought. Yeah, I I I walked out of it. I I had my reservations, but I, I I I mean I haven't stopped thinking about it. Yeah, at all. Right, like at all at all. I actually I've had dreams about this movie because I've been thinking about it so much. Oh no. Yeah. Uh, and <sighs> kind of love this movie. Yeah. Kind of love this movie. Yeah. Maybe I need to stew on it a little bit longer. I think there 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 is there's a brilliance to it. Yeah, it, it's it's <clears throat> I think there are certain uh, characters that were underused. Fine. I think there are certain story threads that are a little trite and it's like, all right, we, I don't know if we need to see this again. Uh, I don't necessarily blame the movie for that at, at the end of the day for what it is. And I, I, Joaquin Phoenix is just like, I, I'm worried about him. <laughs> like he goes to. A place I haven't seen in a while out of an actor. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I'm genuinely worried that he's he's not okay. <laughs> and and something bad's going to happen to Joaquin Phoenix First of soon. all, this is not the first time we've ever worried about Joaquin That's Phoenix. That's very true. <laughs> this has happened a few times now. He we've just, gone through this. Maybe he's just legitimately crazy and he's happy being legitimately crazy. Well, I think that is uh, certainly an element of it, yeah. Possibly. Regardless, I mean, we'll dive deeper into Joaquin Phoenix when you give your two cents. And uh, well, let's, I, we can do this now. I think he's astonishing in this. Movie. OK, good. <laughs> can I just say that. Yes. I think he's um, I, you're 100 percent right. He goes somewhere where I haven't seen an actor go in a very long time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's funny. There's a few scenes in this movie where the Joker just dances. Mm-hmm. He just does like a, a balletic thing in bathrooms and shit. And I think in most movies if a filmmaker would pull that out, I would be like, oh, fuck you, Todd Phillips. Yeah. Like, it it would just ring as sort of pretentious at first. Um, I bought every single moment. <laughs> like, I bought everything. And I think that's entirely on the back of Joaquin. Yeah. Who, I mean, to say he slips into this role, I mean, I know Keith Ledger drove himself to insanity and suicide, ultimately. You can, but there's debate about whether or not that actually happened. That's the thing. Sure. I mean, we say all the time Heath Ledger went to a place and he couldn't get out. Um, I mean, Joaquin went even further. Yeah, I And agree. somehow came out the other side. As far as we can tell, it seems okay. Uh, that is an unbelievable performance. It really is. Oh, my God. It's, it's, I, fin- I, I finally understand what people are saying. And yeah. I don't necessarily think he's going to win Best Actor. I think he should. He should, but I, I don't think it's the kind of movie that makes the Academy go like, here's your, your golden statue, kid. <laughs> <laughs> I think this makes them run the other way. I think that's true. That's, yeah. a, that's the only thing. It's like, yes, guys, you're right. He probably should win an Oscar. Will he? It's a different question Well, altogether. there was some hype about Joker... Yeah. Getting a Best Picture nomination, too. I could see it getting nominated. You think? Yeah. See, I think a movie like this, if you're going to be mainstream, because, I mean, it is a mainstream movie, although not stylistically, you have to be a crowd pleaser. 
You know, you have to be a green book. You have to be like last year, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. Not like a critically adored movie. And this is sort of getting a similar reaction to Bohemian Rhapsody. At least that one was a feel good romp. Yeah. I mean, the difference between this and Bohemian Rhapsody (laughs) was that the criticisms for Bohemian Rhapsody were actually sound. Right. And (laughs) And the criticisms for this are just people who are just like, like. Like annoyed at the film on on some of its principles, yes. Less so the actual filmmaking on display, right? Which just shows so much hypocrisy right now. I'm actually kind of mad at the critical reaction. Yeah. Like, even if you don't love the movie, like it's a, it's it's okay to at least admit that the film does some things right. I have I've read like just vitriol some some yeah. of these reviews, and it makes no sense. the only, The only conclusion I can come to is that these critics just have their own agenda on these issues yeah and they want to bash the film before really taking the time to appreciate it yeah um or they just don't enjoy being challenged that that's also true right which is the other thing we we, i mean we've been asking for a superhero film that doesn't necessarily play by you know the rule book or or like you just said challenges us to a certain degree and then when we get it people are like no fuck that i don't want it right um here's my theory because like this has happened before with movies um, by the way, I want to say first and foremost, um, I'm with you. I have to ruminate on Joker a little bit more. Uh, I think the movie's flawed. I think there are, uh, obvious flaws. Mm-hmm. Um, in general though, I think it's like an incredible achievement and I'm just happy that it exists. Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think that's day. what it is more than anything else. I walked out of there with the exact same reaction as you, like Warner brothers, like put a marketing campaign behind this thing <laughs> like there are billboards with joker on it like what you know what i mean like th- i just saw a commercial for this movie during the pats game the other day it's like no people you don't understand what this movie actually is Fucking batman's in this movie like what are we doing here like th- i was stunned that warner brothers and dc had the balls to green light this thing yeah i'm happy they did i'm just shocked it exists and i'm shocked that we live in a world where the joker uh, spoiler alert Shoots Robert De Niro in the head On late night television And also is on uh, children's pajamas You know uh, in homes all across America And and carrying guns into hospitals Right It's just uh, Yeah spoilers for Joker coming by the way Oh god yeah um, <laughs> This happened before It happened in the 60s Yeah In the 70s Like westerns were the primary genre In the 50s 60s and it was John Wayne, and it was flashy, and it was fun, and when people got shot, there wasn't any blood, and the good guy always won, and then Bonnie and Clyde comes around, and we talked about Bonnie and Clyde on Movie Hall of Fame a few weeks ago, and it's like, oh, that's what happens when somebody gets shot. Like, blood goes all over the place, and it's very violent, and it's very gruesome, Mm -hmm. and like, oh... This is what it looks like when we're following the robbers rather than the police. That's, uh, in that pretty much, uh, uh, climaxes when we get to uh, uh, the Wild Bunch, right? And oh, then, sure, and the Wild Bunch is yeah. exactly 1969 and, changes yeah. everything, yeah, and it all like seals the deal at that point, and then westerns are essentially done, right? I don't know if that's going to be the same thing with superhero films. I kind of want it to be, but that's probably not going to happen. Well, I mean, westerns aren't done; they're done as the primary well, genre, the, but that's what we're talking about, yeah. Um, and I think something similar is happening here. Maybe. I mean, this isn't the first movie to. Do a movie show thing to do this in the realm of superhero films. I mean, there is there is Deadpool, like sure, similar, but again, no, it's but it's not though. The the problem the problem is that it's it's 
ultimate intentions are very similar to regular superhero. That's still escapism. That's the problem. Yeah. And and it, as subversive as it can be, yeah, it's it's still it's leaning closer to more mainstream, surprisingly, than something like this by yep. a mile. Uh, the a, a better example is maybe the boys. Sure, I haven't seen the boys yet. Which is just like I haven't seen all of it. It's just. Like like you will you will walk out of it and you'll never be able to watch a superhero film again. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's kind of like that. Yeah, it just like makes these people pretty much monsters. Okay, and psychopaths. And it's like okay, guys, if this were actually a thing, uh, these people would not be anywhere near as good as you see them. They Doesn't would... it sort of have like a slick undertone to it though? Uh, no, no, <laughs> there's <laughs> no because no, I was under the impression that they played it for laughs a lot of the time. What? That, that, I don't know. Is, is that totally false? It's not a funny show? N- not from what I saw. Okay. <laughs> not from that opening scene. Okay. All right, I need to watch The Boys. because You will watch really that opening it. scene and just like your mouth will fall off your head. Okay. <laughs> it's... Oh, God. Damn, right. It's bad. Fair enough. There's there's maybe a, an aura of, of, of levity to it only because it's so insane. Yeah. So it's kind of like that. Okay. I guess. Yeah. And Logan, too, you have, right? Yeah, I guess. And Logan is violent, but it's it's a character study, and like the good guy sort of wins, and it's it's a very sincere, genuine type of story. Unlike this one, which is very subversive and transgressive. Yes. Um, but point being, you know, I I always think of the Quentin Tarantino line when they ask him why do you make your movies so violent, and he says something along the lines of, "Well, it would be irresponsible to make them nonviolent." Like, when you shoot somebody, that's what it's supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. And to do anything less than that uh, would to be uh, it, it would to be selling short what getting shot actually looks like. Mm-hmm. And it would almost empower people to be like, yeah, violence. Like, in order to have people wrestle with moral ambiguity, you need to show it to them to its logical extreme, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, if we're going to laugh at somebody getting shot, let's make sure it's accompanied by lots of blood and lots of guts. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's nothing wrong with Avengers. There's nothing wrong with Iron Man. There's nothing wrong with Spider Man. And I don't want to sound like I'm bashing those movies when I say this, but there's something very intellectually disingenuous about critics praising Endgame because, like, it's all fun and games when the genocide is being done by a purple man. <laughs> you know, it's all fun and games when Tony Stark wins at the end of the day and people are time traveling and you don't see a lot of blood and you don't see a lot of guts. Mm-hmm. It's all fun and games and you'd love nominating Black Panther for Best Picture because it's 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 so easy. It's so easy to escape and the movie lets you off the hook. It's Well, look, yeah, easy and it's empty. Right. It's my biggest problem with it. I'm like, what, where where's the... Where's the enthusiasm coming from with these movies? Like, have you guys, like, lost your way, I guess, is sort of where I come at it. Like, I just don't understand why you would be so quick to 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 shoot a movie like Joker down, but you would be head over heels in love with something like Black Panther. Right. Which, by comparison, is just a hollow void. Yeah. And people have kind of had the gall to call Joker a, a, a completely superficial film. Yeah. It, it could be superficial on some levels. I'm not going to get away from that completely yeah but at the same but i mean guys next to 
anything that's come out <laughs> in this genre. Right. I mean, you're crazy. Right. You just are. You're wrong. It, and it's okay to admit that you're wrong. Yeah. It, it's like, this is the same story mm-hmm. we've seen a bunch of times now. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's a different take on the story, but it's the same story. The prompt of this movie was... What would the Joker actually look like? Yes. He's a crazy character. He's a cartoon character. Like, even in The Dark Knight, he's he's uh, putting bombs in yachts and playing maniacal games with the citizens of Gotham. Like, he's still an evil genius in that movie. Isn't it interesting, though? It's funny you say that, because you look at the Joker in 2008, and you'd be like, the most realistic interpretation of the Joker, and so on. And then I look at this, and 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 what they choose to do with this character, and I'm like... Yeah, that's a comic book character in 2008. Right. Yeah, you're right. right. No, you look back on it, sure. (laughs) I'm going to make this pencil disappear. It's like, by comparison now, I'm just like, oh yeah, that's tame. Right. (laughs) It's super tame. Yes. And I know Rachel dies and Harvey Dent becomes two-faced, but like the Joker is still put behind bars. Yeah. Like Batman still kind of wins at the end of that movie. Mm -hmm. Right? Um that's not how it would play out. And because the Joker is a comic book character, it is very hard to imagine a person like that existing in the real world. Yep. So this movie goes there mm-hmm. and people aren't comfortable with it. And it, com- it commits to it. Yes, it commits to completely. it. completely, Right. And I just find a ton of hypocrisy in that. Again, I don't want to bash the Dark Knight. I love that movie. And I'm all here for sometimes moral simplicity in movies. I'm here for a good caper where the good guy wins and the bad guys put behind bars. But, you know, you can't have one without the other. Mm-hmm. You can't praise Avengers and, you know, the the villain of Thanos and then be like, oh, but I didn't actually want to see De Niro get shot in the head. <laughs> like, I didn't actually want to see. Well, that's what this is. Yeah. Th- that's what this is. So, again, you know, movies can do this and movies have done this in the past and people have always been uncomfortable with it. And I think to a certain extent, critics that are pushing up against Joker are reckoning with their own appreciation for the superhero genre. Yeah. And that's what they're mad about more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Not the politics. Yep. They're mad that this movie's calling them out on their bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know? You're right. That's that's exactly where I've landed on it. It just feels like they're finally like, oh, yeah, wait, we like this stuff more than we actually think. Right. And we don't want to see it change, which is even more troublesome, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a little it's a little depressing, I guess. It makes me it's, it makes me more cynical. <laughs> the movie does? No, no, no. Just the re- reaction to it, like the 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 oversensitive nature of people. Yeah, is I mean, it's doing it's actually doing good for the film because now more people want to go and see it. Right, that's the thing. But it just shocks me that we got to this place to begin with. I guess. It's, um, it's, it, in in a world where where people where the seventies was a thing, yeah, and you got movies th- that were just like 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 broke you in half, all yeah, the, all the time. It's just like 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 what happened? I guess I don't know. What did you expect going to see a Joker movie? What happened is that at some point in time, and again, this has always been the case. Maybe but it was nine eleven. Huh. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I'd have to really examine history to find the specific moment. But I no, I just think now more than ever. And again, this has always been a thing. But now more than ever, um, we like simple ethics. Yeah. You know, we like being able to label you as something evil and label ourselves as something good and ignore you because you're evil. 
mm-hmm. right? And because we're hyper-polarized, you're running to your one sports team and you're voting for this candidate and you believe this thing about the world. And then so we're going to run in the complete opposite direction and get as far away from each other as possible yeah. rather than cooperate. Exactly. Um, and I just think, look, this isn't anything. And it's a, this is a dicey subject, but let's just go there. I think there is a... Uh, a, a hesitance to confront evil in the face these days. True. There, there's a hesitance to look at evil and identify what it is and look to figure out why they're this way um, and ultimately to make it better because, again, this is just a theory about the world, not even about Joker. People are afraid of what they're going to see. Yep. I completely agree. People are afraid to look evil in the eye and see themselves. Yep. And feel like oh wow there's actually an element of me in this arthur fleck character uh-huh. and that's what people don't want to admit because he's an isolated mentally ill violent uh uh sociopath yep like he's evil guys like to those listening he's a bad guy he's a horrible horrible monster of a human being but just because he's evil that doesn't mean it's not still very very complicated sure well, <laughs> and and oddly relatable at times that's okay he's a human being (laughs) here's my question if we're not meant to sympathize with him why are we making the movie that's the point yes yes you know what i mean you're not necessarily trying to uh, you're more clearly you're not trying to agree with anything that he's doing right (laughs) you're just trying to understand him yes you're trying you you certainly have empathy for the guy at the beginning yeah, I mean, and, and then you slowly unravel his story and you realize, okay, this guy is pretty much irredeemable. And even earlier on in the film, he was far more monstrous than we already thought. Yes. He was just figuring it out himself. Exactly right. Right. Uh, and yeah, all the damage had already been done in his childhood. Yes. Is what you learn about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm just like, I don't need a movie telling me why mass shooters are bad. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, that sounds harsh, but I mean it. Like, I don't need a movie telling me that serial killers are evil. Because I know serial killers are evil. Yeah. I know that killing people is wrong. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, okay, Thanos wanting to wipe out half the population. Not a good idea. You don't have to make <laughs> a movie telling me it's not a good idea. Yep. You know what I'm saying? If we're not meant to empathize with Arthur Fleck... Why am I here? Exactly. Why did we even try this? That's the point of filmmaking. And we've lost sight of that. Mm-hmm. We've lost sight of that, not just because of our politics, but just in general, our film going habits. No. We like really simple. We like simplicity. That's, we, dude, we like easy ethics. Dude, that's that's in a way that I could almost you know reach it back to Netflix in a way. I, th- huh. I think that the, I, I've said this before. You know what? Uh, Tarantino actually s- shares the sentiment is that people don't commit to movie watching anymore. Right. And Netflix has sort of endorsed that. I mean, just the very nature of watching Netflix is something that you don't necessarily commit to because you can walk away from it. And yeah. You often do. Yeah. And you, you flip on one right after the other and you don't think about the previous episode or you don't think about the previous movie you just threw on. And it's, I don't know, it's sort of, it, it, it it's caused these bad habits in my opinion. It's sort of, huh. it's sort of built it into us at this point. We've sort of for, been addicted to that drug for a while. Right. And I don't, I don't, and I don't think we realize how far we've actually come or right. gone, how far we've gone rather. Yeah. Yeah. The Netflix machine is not really built to challenge you. No, no. Because the second they challenge you, you stop binging yeah. and they want you to just keep binging. Exactly. Um, and I think that's probably, I mean, I don't know. Mindhunter is certainly an exception to this. But this was an interesting thing. People, I, 
I think in a lot of ways, Mindhunter, it's funny you say that, does a lot of similar things with its character that Joker does. Yeah. And no one responded negatively to that. I love Edmund Kemper. I'm just going to say it now. I fucking love Edmund Kemper in that show. (laughs) He's an awesome dude. You'd like to hang out with him. Exactly. I want to have pizza with Edmund Kemper. Of course. Why not? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess that's a notable exception, but you're right. I think generally, um, yeah, not a lot of moral ambiguity on Netflix shows. I don't know. Um, but there's certainly, yeah, not a lot of moral ambiguity in superhero movies, I guess. Almost none. Yeah, is the point. Um, and the other thing people are saying, too, is, and I want to be done with the critics. I actually yes. want to talk about this. Movie, yes, yes. <laughs> we're doing the very thing. We're, we're throwing stones in our glass house right now yeah. by just talking about critics. After well, we're, saying, we're done well, talking let's about. Let's talk about the movie. We're not- <laughs> We're we're done talking about the critics after this. I, okay, this is what they wanted to hear, Nico. I know that's what they came for. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing I'm hearing all the time is why now? I'm hearing why now in the wake of a bunch of mass shootings by a bunch of young isolated white men. Why now? When else are you gonna do it? <laughs> that's exactly my answer. Why not now? Yeah. Like literally, why not now? Mm-hmm. Why not now when it seems like we're under siege by a group of homegrown domestic terrorists? Why Why not now? What, do you want to wait years so you forget about it and you're like, oh yeah, that's an interesting idea? Or do you do you want a movie that actually, you know, fa- confronts you with those challenges in the moment? Right. So that it actually makes an impact. Look, I hear you if you want to say this movie isn't, um, you know, 100% psychologist endorsed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm with you if you want to say, yeah, oh, that's not really how mental illness works. That's not really how uh, violence against women works. Like, if you want to nitpick, that's fine. But I think generally the broad strokes of this movie are pretty real and pretty raw mm-hmm. and pretty authentic. So, like, yeah, let's do a movie about what happens when a guy goes off meds. Or more specifically, when we gut the social services programs and when social workers are no longer able to take care of patients and when people aren't given access to good health care, mental health care, uh-huh. and when we don't take mental health care seriously. Yeah. Let's look what happens when we give young men guns at a young age. Mm-hmm. You know, let's see what happens when, uh, you know, we don't show empathy towards these people. Mm-hmm. Why not now? And it's you can both simultaneously say the guy that shot up the Aurora movie theater, the guy that shot up Dayton, Ohio, the guy that shot up El Paso are bad dudes. You can say that simultaneously and also ask the question, why are they bad dudes and what can we do to prevent them from becoming bad dudes? You know, what can we do at a young age with? With foster youth in order to make sure they grow up in a, in a safe household. Mm-hmm. What can we do to empower child protective services to take their children away from abusive parents? What can we do to avoid fatherless households? Like, what can we do to avoid all that shit? Mm-hmm. This is the perfect time to be asking those questions. And I just think it's really lazy to say, oh, you know... Now's not really the right time, guys. It's just such a weak ass. And both sides do this, by the way. Yeah. You hear this all the time out of Republicans when it's like, now is not the time to talk about gun control. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, why wouldn't it be the time to talk about gun control? Like somebody just shot up a movie theater yeah. with guns. You know, and so the but the left does this too. I don't I don't want to get too political, but the left does this too. It's like now is not the time. These victims are 
are uh, are uh, are still healing, and now is not the time to have these difficult conversations. It just seems to me on both sides of the aisle, people don't want to talk about these types of people. Mm-hmm. They want to label them. You're an incel. You're a creep. Get away from me. Stay in your basement until one day you snap, and then you hurt me twenty times more. Yep. Like we should be talking about these people and trying to empathize with these people, not the other way around. Pisses me off, Adam Hall. I'm right there with you. Pisses me the fuck <laughs> off. The Ed Cell argument. Oh, I will never forgive people for that. <laughs> what the fuck were they talking? I texted that to you. It's like, if this guy's an incel, I'm a genie. Well, he is an incel, though, isn't he? By, te- by no. text definition? <laughs> fuck no. <laughs> I guess by te- But all that incel means is you're not getting laid. <laughs> Who gives a shit? Right? <laughs> we have to be a little more specific when we use incel. I know. It's a little more complicated. Calling him an incel, you guys fucking dumbasses. No, it just really pisses me off because this is what movies are supposed to be. And this is, you're 100% right, in the 70s, that's the transition that was made. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, let's show courage and willingness to look evil in the eye yep. and try to empathize with it. And, and explore it properly, show it properly, and you know, get, give us those ideas that are going to better us, right. <laughs> essentially. Right. No, and we've moved away from it, and it's and, uh, very discouraging. Well, now we just simplify things so that we don't care. Right. That's what it feels like. Yeah. So, um, all right, I'm done talking critics. Let's yeah, talk about this movie. Okay. <laughs> okay. Back to the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this movie's really disturbing. It is. <laughs> it's super disturbing. You know what I also found interesting about it? What? Um, it's directed by Todd Phillips. That's another thing that's interesting about it. Can we talk about that for a second? Well, you know, I guess you want to talk about Todd Phillips. I really want to talk about Todd Phillips. Let's do this. Um, <laughs> How does a guy that made The Hangover make this? Because he made the G.G. Allen story. Well, that, that we know. That is the skeleton key to unlock this whole mystery. It's, as soon as, was it Fox News brought that up? Yeah, okay. So I was at my, <laughs> I was at my uncle's house, and uh, he loves watching Fox News. Mm-hmm. So I walked in, and that show The Five is on, where just the five people, they yell at each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite entertaining. <laughs> and um, uh, they brought up the Todd Phillips is quitting comedy because he can't make any jokes anymore. Uh, I think he, there was a quote where he's like, yeah, you tried doing comedy in 2019. Everybody's so sensitive. So like, right. And that's been a whole thing. So they were talking about that and they were defending Todd Phillips because this is the position we're in now is that right wing television defends the comedians and left wing television hates the comedians. Um, and so they're like, yeah, uh, Todd Phillips made that great movie called hated, with the Gigi Allen story. That great movie that everybody saw. I think one of the broads, one of the blonde uh, the blonde women on that show was like, yeah, I just recently watched that movie Hated. And then Greg Gutfeld, who's at the end of the, the table, goes, oh, I love that movie. It's one of the best music documentaries of all time. <laughs> and I just say to myself, what bizarro world have I entered <laughs> where Fox News is, depend- is defending the movie... Where a guy gets pissed on. Dude, like, a dude shoves a hot dog up his ass and then shits it out into somebody's mouth. This was the equivalent, this was Nico's Pink Flamingos that he showed us. This, Hated. this film was fucking rough. No one should ever see this. No one should ever say that they enjoyed it. I actually think people should see it. I don't think that they should enjoy it. Okay, fair. Yeah, I think people should definitely see this movie. It's fucking crazy. I think it's a very informative movie. Dude goes to NYU and stands in front of a bunch of kids and then shoves a banana up his ass. And then 
that no that takes the banana out of his ass and begins hurling it monkey style monkey with some shit style well, that's, at, at the students that's what he is though gg allen's a monkey <laughs> gg jesus christ <laughs> okay so todd phillips made that but he hasn't done anything like that since no dude made fucking starsky and hutch which did, i like yeah uh i haven't seen it uh and he did uh old school which is fun uh yeah i like old school and he did uh you know hangover which i think was his best movie at the time maybe yeah and now he did this and i'm trying to figure out I mean, obviously, he's a big Scorsese fan. That much is clear. Yeah. Because this movie is just aping Scorsese left and right. No, no. You know? It's just a Scorsese ripoff. Um, but I was I was very impressed with how he was able to choreograph this movie. Mm-hmm. You know? And what he was able to do, not just like on a cinematography level, because the movie is very well shot, mm-hmm. but just like where to put Joaquin and how to make him contort his body and how to position him in the frame. Like the movie, the movie does some stuff. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The movie does some stuff behind the camera. I was very impressed with, and I didn't think that he would be capable of, but he is. Well, I, I didn't think stylistically it was like a, a a Scorsese film. Just, it just in the way you would uh, explore these themes, I suppose, or sort of a general attitude. And the filmmaking is, is to me very interesting. Yeah, a lot of the time, and there's a lot of interesting uses of uh, um, regular 24 frames a, se- a second versus slow motion, and how that relates to Arthur Fleck versus how we perceive Arthur Fleck and how he perceives himself. Yeah, especially in that stair sequence, which I really love. Which is, I think, the best scene in the movie. Because you watch it and you're just like, "This is very weird and very like just it's just odd." Yeah, like if I saw this guy, I wouldn't know what the fuck he's doing. Right, and then it transitions to into a slow mo version of what he's doing, and then it makes all it, it makes perfect sense. Sure, it's like, oh, now I get it. That's how he sees himself. It's great. It's wonderfully done. Right, a lot of things like that. And when the film chooses to get chaotic, it's 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 much choppier with its editing, but in a good way. Uh, it's not overly close up, but when it is close up, it feels earned. Yep. And in a movie like this, that is so deeply a character study, I actually don't mind that style nearly as much. I guess that's why I liked Good Time so much. Yeah, similar. I mean, equally as grimy films in a way too. Oh sure. So I yeah I, I was thoroughly surprised by what uh, Todd Phillips was able to do behind the camera. It, again, like based on his other films, it's not something I would have expected out of him. Right. It's it yeah. So, I mean, I was impressed by that. That's sort of the weird narrative here is that like, oh, Todd Phillips is actually... He's a filmmaker. Yeah, it's kind of a filmmaker now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's what happens when you've just been in the business for 30 years. Well, I look at guys like that and I'm like, I think they were always filmmakers. It's just these are the, the only films that they felt like they could do. Right. And then he saw this avenue. He's like, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna make my movie now. Sure. It's going to be my stamp of a film. And I funny thing is I, I, I don't think Todd Phillips is great at at story structure in his movies. I think really, I think a lot of times, even in the hangover and I, I enjoy the hangover, but it could be very messy. And it's like, I don't know why you put this plot thread here versus here and, you know, just shift this around and it would have made more sense. But there is a natural progression of events in Joker. And there's a natural progression to that character that just feels more believable than anything I've seen this year. Right. It's, it's kind of, it's, and there's not like, like Joaquin Phoenix actually said it best where he's like, there's not one distinct thing that changes Arthur it's just been building and building and adding to itself you know over time and it just gets worse and worse and you really really feel that well you're almost ready for the moment to happen like you're ready and you assume that it's going to happen with the girl 
Yeah. Like you assume something's going to happen there or it's going to involve his mom. You think his mom's going to die and the girlfriend's going to dump him and that's going to set him off. But what you haven't realized, and this is the great trick of the movie, is that all this shit happened already. Yes. Like his mother already betrayed him years ago. Mm-hmm. The girlfriend isn't real. It was just a figment of his imagination. Mm-hmm. And the moment that really pushes him over the edge is when he goes off his meds. Yeah. And that's not even like a, you know, a, a major moment. But I don't think it would have been a major moment for him in, in life either. Well, I think the fact that he goes off of his meds and this is what he does just shows you that it was always in him to begin with. Sure. You know? Right. But in e- even the point when he kills the people on the train, you would think that, okay, after that, he's the Joker. Right. Not, not really. No. Not exactly. I mean, that's the moment when he realizes that violence gives him this escape. Yes. Um, and that's exactly. what that whole scene in the bathroom was about. Which is, honestly, could be my favorite scene in the film. I mean, it's, again, I told you before, like, I think it in most movies I would say it's pretentious, but here it just works. It's scary and uncomfortable, but it's like, another thing that sells it so well is like, you you can see him changing in front of you. Right. And it just feels so wrong. And you don't really want him to change that way, but he can't help it. Yeah, the guy's like just, he, he's, he's like a butterfly always coming out of a cocoon, that's this a character. Gr- that's a great metaphor. You know what I mean? Because that's, yeah, that's exactly what it is. He's hunched over and his, he's, his stomach, he's sucking it in in a weird way. And you see like his bones yeah. all the time. Uh. Like you always see the bones under him. And it's mm-hmm. this very raw, like transformative performance. He looks like a starved dog. Yeah, yeah. And, but you just sort of feel like he's always coming out of the cocoon. He's like he's always he's becoming something different and much uglier as the movie goes along. Know. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's yeah, it's quite unsettling. But there are you're right. There are so many of those scenes that it was a slow, slow build. Yes, like this is not like a fast movie necessarily. I mean, yeah. it it moves very well for me because it's so engaging. Yep. But I wouldn't necessarily say like this is like. It's not a, it's not an action film. It's not cut like an action film. Like it takes its time on these moments. There's there's a surprising amount of shots. And I, I again, this is going to be the hundred thousandth time I've said this on this podcast. But when it holds on an interesting moment, yeah, like when he's just taking all of the shit out of his refrigerator and just gets in his fridge and just gets in the fridge because yeah. he wants to close himself off from everybody. Maybe, yeah. maybe now here's the thing that is very on the nose and obvious. Yeah, but it's at the same time I'm like I could absolutely see somebody doing that yeah there's something about the way this movie presents itself that just feels so believable even when it's being so in your face there's something about joaquin that makes it yeah, believable that's that's, that's ultimately what it is yeah um it's it's all on his performance um and by the way there is some stuff that is very under the uh, on the nose that i just didn't love like the uh the beginning with de niro when he's hallucinating the appearance on the late night show. That is so king of comedy. It, it was it was almost unforgivable. I was it's like, directly ripping I'm off. I'm just like, of okay. Like I was rolling my eyes the entire time. Yes. Joaquin is still great in that in, in that little moment. And De Niro's also very good. Yeah. We haven't talked about De Niro, but I actually think sure. he does this part pretty well. Yeah, he's Robert fucking De Niro. Yeah. Of course he is. I just want to be like, you know what? De Niro really fucking sucked in Rocky and Bullwinkle, you know? <laughs> it was just You know who can act? Robert De Niro. <laughs> He's actually pretty good. Turns out the kid can act. An article, the, the new, I mean, Joaquin Phoenix is great, but latest discovery, Robert De Niro, <laughs> Todd Phillips has really made his mark. <laughs> Who would have thunk it? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he's good. But there's a couple of those scenes. Uh, that one felt a little over the top. By the way, I didn't love the stuff with the Waynes. Let me say that I did felt unnecessary. I can't necessarily say it was a bad decision or that those scenes were not well done or not well written. 
I, uh, I love the scene where he goes to the gate. Okay. I really love that scene. But the Thomas Wayne thing, I mean, it's it's just, I mean, that's more directly just like, like you know, poking the stick at, at politicians. Yeah. And they're just general indifference to, to people like this and how they really don't care, even if they put on the facade that they do. Right. I like that idea. I mean, that's something that I believe in wholeheartedly, too. But, um, yeah, it's it's... Maybe it's just the Waynes. I wonder if it was anybody else, it would have been a little different. What do you think? Well, I think if the movie wasn't called Joker and that was just another character, that would have been all right. Okay. But I, I think, you know, I was so into the Fleck transformation and mm. all I wanted was more Joaquin. And then it just felt like unnecessary world building. And I don't even know if this was Todd Phillips' intention. This might have been a studio note. Maybe. But they were like, you know what? Let's just slip the one scene in there and let's show Bruce at the end of this movie just in case we feel like doing a sequel 10 years from now. Well, they, they again, and, and this you're not the first person to say this, where it was just like they, they had their film and they were finishing it up, and it's like, it's too good. It's like, right. can, we, can we put something in there, Batman-related, in case we want to follow this through? And I, you're right. It's like we didn't need Thomas Wayne or any of this. Like, you you really honestly don't need any of this to continue this story. But, yes, I, I think it's that's absolutely what I mean, look, is. the catharsis is killing De Niro. The catharsis is not killing the Waynes. No. Like, if that if he was the main antagonist for the film, that's one thing. But he's not really. No. You know? Not, he's, he, I mean, he's, he, he's, a, he's an important part to the film, but they didn't necessarily need to make it Thomas Wayne is right. the problem, right. I think. And, yeah, I, adding that adds a, a, a layer of... of I mean, I, I, it's a little confusing. Again, it just makes me question the intentions of the movie at that point. Sure. It's like, were you were you just setting this up for later entries? I mean, fine. I guess the only reason why I'm not, I don't like hate it or anything is because they don't linger on it. Yeah. They, they don't spend too much time developing it necessarily. But it is one of the last shots of the movie, though, which is weird. It, again, I didn't mind that. As, yeah? I didn't really mind that either. I actually I actually like that little addition where he's thinking about the... the just the thought of some kid's parents being killed in an alleyway and what that kid could become. Yeah. And how that ties the whole, the, uh, I don't know, I guess the story together in a way and potentially more movies. I do love the but, line of, yeah. you wouldn't get it. That's great. I have a joke, you wouldn't get it. That's 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 pretty good screenwriting there. That's the Joker, though. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. No, no I don't mind that, that shot. There's something about it that just, again, it's artistically very pleasing to me. Yeah. Even if... Again, you could question the intentions of the studio on 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 that little detail. It it still felt right, right. But I but like I do agree. Other scenes with Thomas Wayne and focusing too much on that, it's just like we we really don't need this, guys. Right. Uh, I don't know how Joaquin's Joker like becomes a villain in an upcoming movie, though. Like I don't know how you have this guy fighting Robert Pattinson. They're not going to do that. Yeah, I don't think they are. Either. No, no. Well, I think he, Todd Phillips even said that he's not, he has no intention of doing that. It's a completely different type of Joker altogether. Right. But here's the thing is that the next Joker they get is just going to suck. It's going to be another <laughs> Jared Leto-esque Joker. It's going to be... Well, Jared Leto's still doing it, right? Is he? I think he's still under contract oh, for movies. God. I mean, he's definitely going to like appear in like Suicide Squad movies or whatever. Oh, no. No, I think that's the plan. He's part of the thing. That sucks. Yeah. Because I don't, I, I don't understand how you do any more with the Joker at this point. Yeah. I, th- I had that feeling w- when I saw Heath Ledger, and now I've seen this, and <laughs> I realize, yeah, no, this is it. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out you could have gone further, but you did, and now it's done. But seriously, where do you go from here? I, I don't know. 
Yeah. No, I don't know how you turn this character into a mustache twirling villain. How do you make him more interesting than he already is now? Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah. I, I mean, it just it just tonally, though, it's like you can't make this guy fight in a man in a cape. No. You know? it does. I mean, it doesn't appeal to anybody going to see a Batman film, too. Right. And they may think it does because they've seen The Dark Knight, but guys, like, guys, honestly, Dark Knight is tame. No, Dark Knight is Compared, a superhero movie yes, still. Yes. This is not a superhero movie. It's got elements at the end, but this is not a superhero movie at all. No. Like, especially like the first hour before the Waynes oh, get involved. Yep. Like, this is just a very intimate, grotesque character study, mm-hmm. you know, where bad things happen. Um, I mean, I think one of the things I said about the film leaving is, like, I've never seen ugliness portrayed so beautifully yeah. since, I guess, Taxi Driver. Right. So, well, it's, it's very Taxi Driver, for I, sure. I know. A lot of people will say King of Comedy, it's Taxi Driver. First yeah, I guess tonally it's more Taxi Driver, but there's a lot of allusions to King of Comedy. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the fact that the climax is on a late night talk show with Robert De Niro playing the talk show host. I mean, that's such an explicit homage to King of Comedy. It doesn't exactly play out the same way King of Comedy plays no, out. But that was, King of Comedy plays it out for laughs a little more, but... Uh, that talk show scene, though. You know, man... Uh, Scorsese is just everywhere now, huh? Yeah. We're just like at I mean, he's always been very influential, but this feels like Is that a problem? No, but this just <laughs> I don't know. They're they're saying that Uncut Gems is very Scorsese and that even Hustlers with JLo apparently is pretty Scorsese. Really? Okay. Yeah, I heard like it's it's got s- some of the similar moves. Okay. This is very Scorsese. The Irishman is coming out. Like, uh, when did this happen? When did this transition happen? I don't know. It's a good question, though, because I, I, I've, I've been feeling it, too. It's like, wow, every filmmaker's pulling from Scorsese now. Todd Phillips' previous film, War Dogs, is another Scorsese ripoff, essentially. Yeah. I mean, very Scorsese. Like, yeah. even, in, in my opinion, more overtly than The Joker, in a lot of ways. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, newer score. That's more Goodfellas than it is, yes. than yeah. it is Taxi Driver. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what did you make of that final scene? Oh, in the in the 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 studio. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the the two thoughts in my the back of my head were were okay. He's either going to kill himself or he's going to kill Robert De Niro. Right. And I I just knew he was going to kill Robert De Niro. Me too. It, I just knew it was going to happen. That being said, um, it's remarkable. Yeah. I love it, and yeah. it's really really haunting, and it still plays in my head as if I actually saw it. Yeah. The the there's such a, a a matter of factness about it when right. he actually does kill Robert De Niro. There is nothing cinematic about it un- until essentially the point where he kills him. But the the point when he's actually talking about why he is the way that he is and why he intends to to, to be this way, why why he killed those people on the train to begin with, that's all very. Uh, I mean that that that's a little more stylized and, and it, it certainly brings you up. But the moment when he actually decides to to shoot Robert De Niro in the head. It reminds me of uh, a shot in Predator of all things. Oh my! When uh, when the one of the guard kills the prisoners. Okay. Oh right. Yeah. It's like there's nothing. It's just a lockdown, like very square, flat shot. It's just like right. And, and this, it's just it's really loud and uncomfortable, and the blood effects are just nauseating, and the camera doesn't do very much. It's just like yeah, here's a guy getting shot in the head. Deal with it. Right. And I'm like, oh my god. And it's just weird to see that happen to Robert De Niro too. Sure. Right. Um, and also, like, let's take this back to other superhero movies. When Jack Nicholson steals the gun from his henchman and just shoots him, like, mm-hmm. that's played for laughs. Mm-hmm. And again, critics loved that. But now, here we are confronted. This is what happens when a guy gets shot in the head. 
um, and let's shoot it as if you were watching it on TV. It's freaky. Let's just keep it on the dolly. And this is the one shot that if you were watching the late night show, this is what you would have seen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I can't say I haven't seen it before, but I certainly can say I haven't seen it before in a superhero movie. Yeah. I don't know if I've seen it like this. Yeah. That's what, that's the thing. That's what sells it. Again, I, and I, there's another thing I say all the time. I don't care if it's a quote unquote cliche or if it's not wholly original, just present it in a way that feels fresh. Right. And this does that. And again, this goes back to Joaquin Phoenix, his performance in that he could have very much had like gotten up and like looked intimidating, but he just shoots him and then he just sits back down. Right. He's just like looking around. Yeah. Yeah. What just drops it? the gun. Yeah. He's like, whatever. And then the people next to him don't run away. They right. just like cower, like as if he's going to shoot them too. It's yes. And you don't ever know what he's going to do. And this is the other thing that makes him so scary is that he's completely unpredictable right. in that way. And oh my God, that scene is, it's, again, I, and I texted you afterwards. It's like, it's not a perfect movie in my opinion, but it is so affecting. Yeah. And that scene just exemplifies it for me. Right. Whew. Well, the tension building in that scene is just immaculate. Excellent. I mean, when he reaches behind himself and grabs the notebook out I of his back gonna, pocket. I thought he was going to grab the gun. Oh, that's just incredible stuff. <laughs> you know, the movie's just really good at that. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, I was skeptical pretty early on when i saw again the first scene with de niro the hallucination is is one of my least favorite scenes in the movie for sure mm-hmm. um i was a little skeptical of the climax playing out on a tv set there's something that's a little inauthentic about that i was worried it was going to happen too yeah you know i don't like when movies do that um it's oddly enough one of my main complaints with magnolia is mm-hmm. that Magnolia exists on a TV game show and like the True. climax takes place on a soundstage and there's just something not very cinematic about that. Um, so like, it, it, there's something about it that's very staged and a little forced. And, you know, the fact that De Niro has to have this very intimate conversation with Arthur under the guise of a performance, mm-hmm. you know, to say, oh, yeah, well, this guy, what a clown. Huh? Look at him with his makeup. Am I right? I think that's what makes it work a little better though for me I yeah mean, that's what i was about to say yeah it's it's more bleak because of that like even when arthur's trying to reach these people and reach robert de niro's character in this moment he can't because of where he's he's situated exactly right and that's a big metaphor for all of society in that one little tv studio right it's actually very interesting it's very clever and yes. i was just about to say that once they ended up doing it joaquin goes on this monologue and it's a fairly run-of-the-mill like villain monologue where it's like you guys never understood me but there's something with his performance, and I think you're right, that it built naturally to that moment. Mm-hmm. The movie felt authentic. This is where he should be. This is what he should be doing. This is where the catharsis should come for him. Yep. You know? Uh, he's obsessed with, he's been obsessed with De Niro his entire life. Somebody like this would try something like this. And this goes back to like Mark David Chapman and that kind of thing. Right. Similarly. Yeah. Um, and there's also something about his relationship with television. Yeah. You know, the way that he, he sees society through television. Mm-hmm. He's this unreliable narrator a lot of the time. King of Comedy plays with the same ideas. Yes. You know, it's that he's living in a different world because mm-hmm. he thinks the world is what's happening on TV. and. Mm-hmm. Turns out it's very different, and it's much harder out there for a guy like him. <laughs> He's very much a performer too, right? That's the other thing that 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 extends into much of what this character does is that he's always kind of trying to put on some kind of performance, right? You know, and do something with that performance, which maybe that's just perfectly suited for Joaquin. Yeah, at the end of the day, because you're right. Like his monologue in that scene is not. Again, it, you see that a lot actually, but he's just got such a. I don't know. 
there, there's such a strange, like, like uncomfortable, like youthfulness to him. He's like such a kid in that moment, mm. even to just the way where he's just like, you're horrible. <laughs> yeah. I'm horrible. You're horrible. Yeah. Why? My video. It's like, he's like a kid here. Right. <laughs> he's like a child. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's that weird thing. He's in this uh, stunted growth thing like yeah, with like his mother rest- too everything with his mother is yeah. just very unsettling yeah, a lot of arrested development going on yeah like this it, even in the opening scene when the title card pops up and he's like cowering he's in the fetal position he's got his hands b- between his legs it's, right it's just like what are they doing with this character and it just gets all the more uncomfortable and you realize how brilliant it actually is yeah can we talk about um the scene where he kills his buddy Oh my god. Can we talk about this scene, please? Because <laughs> this is the type of scene where I'm like, oh, yeah, you're making a divisive movie here. It's a lot of things. But again, I I, I react like people I'm not the first person to say this, but people were like, the most Joker scene in the movie is this. Right. And I'm like, what do you, what is it? What what are you talking about? And then they end up pointing to this scene and I'm just like, oh my god, it's <laughs> This scene floored me. I loved it. I did too. I fucking and the ending. I was just like, okay, this is this movie's one of my favorites of the year. <laughs> like, even if the rest of the movie sucks, this scene is amazing. This is what I love in movies. Yes. This is all. In, it's like a weird, absurdist comedy, very dark. Something the Coens would have done. And you know what I loved about it more than anything? I, I was sitting there. I'm like. Nico's gonna love yeah, this scene. Yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. It's like something, it's like an even darker version of Fargo. Yeah. That's what it is. The, yeah. The idea of the little person, after seeing his buddy stabbed in the eye with a f- pair of scissors. What a punchline to that scene. That's oh the my point, though. God. And the, <laughs> you got the, the lock on the door too high for the little person to reach, and he has to ask Arthur to open it for him. Oh, I feel so bad for... Th- I'm so happy you didn't kill him, though. Yeah. I'm like, oh, God, this poor guy. Right. This poor- Arthur, could you please unlock the door? After his buddy has just been stabbed in the neck. And what the-, the fuck, Arthur? <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> and he's just, he's just like sitting there like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He's like, my mom's dead. I'm celebrating. <laughs> What the fuck? Oh my god, dude, that was man. There were there are a bunch of those scenes, man. And so you have that though, which is sort of played for laughs, but again, doesn't shy away from it. That's the difference. No, like you can you can you can make something a punchline while the audience still understands. Oh, I shouldn't be laughing at this, Mm -hmm. right? That's what it is. It's like it's an uncomfortable laughter. It's not like the Tim Burton Batman's. Mm Where by the by the way. Batman Returns was on yesterday. TNT was yeah, doing yeah. like a Batman marathon. Fucking great film. <laughs> I know it's a great film. Such a hoop. Stop saying it's a great film. We, Such know, a we know you love it. We know it's a great film. Okay. Such a good time. Oh my God. Love this, it. This guy over here. <laughs> uh, and that you contrast that with a scene like the Zazzy Beats scene where Arthur walks in. And I got to be honest, I saw it coming. I actually figured the movie was going to go this way because mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, she's way too beautiful for him. <laughs> just, out of, just out of very... I think it's a little more obvious than some people are giving you credit for, too, because yeah. I kind of saw it, too. Just on a very simple level. Like, yeah. she's, like, way out of his league. Yep. She's <laughs> a beautiful human being, Zazzy Beats. The, well, the other, I mean, another criticism that the Zazzy Beats stuff is kind of the weaker stuff in the movie, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't love it. I, but again, it makes sense on, when, when, once you see what actually happens. It's just, like, even for what they were going for, they could have done a little bit more, I thought. In what way? You think that they like, should have given her more time? Yeah, I do. Okay. I do. 
Because it, it feels, I don't know, it feels weaker. That scene, though, where he actually comes to, to into her apartment for some for some uh, consolence is that, uh, I mean, it's haunting and it's freaky and Hilder's score. Oh, my yeah. God. So good. She is amazing. She's the one who scored Chernobyl. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. She's very good. She's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Can't pronounce her last name. I'm sorry. Let me look it up right now. Let me see if I can do it. Uh, Good luck. <laughs> yeah. No, where he goes, I had a bad day. Oh He's my just dripping with water. What a great line. Like, I love the way this movie's written, too. I just, I just, I really like it. Yeah. No, it's a great script. Yeah. That was one of the things I heard, I guess, um, when they were prepping the movie, because, like, the studio was apprehensive at first. Mm-hmm. But the script was so good, they just couldn't say no. Okay. They were just like, yeah, we, what are we going to do? We're going to not make this movie? Yeah. I mean, it's just, a, you know. Um, uh, composer Hilder Gua. No, okay, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> Worked on oh Sicario. Yeah, Sicario too. I think she was good friends with Johan Johansson, who composed Arrival, the yes. first, the first Sicario, Mandy. Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the Revenant she worked on. Okay. okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah. She was sort of. Yeah, because she worked on Arrival. She worked on all those movies. Okay. She did a hijacking, a bunch of like Swedish shit. Um, and then yeah, Sicario, Day of the Soldado, Chernobyl, and and Joker. <laughs> Pretty good resume so far for Hilder. <laughs> only slightly. But only I could pronounce her last name. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I think I agree with you. Um, that stuff was a little on the nose, too, with, with Zazzy. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of knew exactly where it was going. Yeah. Again, like, the guy's bloodied up, is wearing makeup, and just has sex with the woman down the hall. Sure. Like, that's just not going to happen. Um, I, I, but again, but maybe, maybe that was the point. I don't know. Maybe it makes sense, too, because, again, this movie is so strictly in his perspective. Yes. It's in, it's actually kind of amazing how it literally never leaves Arthur. Right. And you would so think that it would. I mean, honestly, stays with Arthur more than it stays with Travis Bickle. Fun fact, because we actually leave Travis Bickle in one scene. You leave him for the scene with Keitel raping Foster, right? Yeah, essentially. That's That's it. Yeah, I don't think there's any other scene, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Does it it doesn't leave at all, huh? No. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, good fucking point. Yeah, no, that's what this is such a it's such heavy lifting. I like I love Leo in Once Upon a Time. Like I would have made him the front runner for the Oscar before this, but this is a harder role, I think, it, right? It, no, I, oh my god. No, I'm serious. Like I think Leo is still going to get it. Oh, you think? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I do. But um There's a lot of contenders now, man. <sighs> First of all, De Niro's going to be in the mix, which is the thing. You, you know? really think De Niro's going to get it, though? I don't know. Well, we got to. Why see, not? Well, we got to see the yeah. movie. True. It's well, a lo- it's a long list of nominees this year. Sure. Eddie Murphy's in the mix, which I think is so for Dolomite. Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah. I don't know. I gotta watch that. I, I kind of want to see it. Is it on Netflix? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. In a couple weeks, I don't know if it's out yet, but freaking Jabril, by the way, is seeing El Camino in the theaters. Where? Where is he going? Bowtie Cinemas. Oh, really? They're doing it? Yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. Might have to go see it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I gotta go. Yeah. West Hartford? Yeah, I guess so. Oh, nice. I gotta do that. <laughs> I'll get yeah. this I'm, week. I might actually do it, too. Yeah, yeah it's a loaded category. Uh, I mean, Sandler's gonna be there. Which uh, is, I can't, it's, it's very interesting Oscars. Yeah. Tom gonna, Hanks is gonna be there. Yeah. 
I mean, these and the thing is too, they're major stars. It's not you know, there's no uh, Eddie Redmaynes in this list. True. There's no Randy <laughs> I mean, Malik's in this. Oh my list. god, are we past the Eddie Redmayne era? I think we are. I think the Redmayne era is over. That is the most eloquent way I've ever heard heard it described. Yeah, just these like nothing who cares actors. Right. I'm sorry, Eddie Redmayne. It's just like I just don't care. We're done with the Red Scare. <laughs> Uh, good for you. Thanks, bud. I want to talk about before we, we wrap up, we, okay. we don't have much time because Nick's going to call us. And we're going to do another show. Okay. Um, I do want to talk about th- this idea of, uh, of Joker as like a Christ figure for these people. Maybe Christ figure is not the right term, but martyr. How about that? That's better. Yeah. Um, this idea of him as, uh, as starting this movement at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. This was another thing where I'm like, if I have to nitpick, and maybe this is not a nitpick, maybe this is a larger problem. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the movie's trying to say about society. I know very clearly what it's trying to say about Arthur. Yeah. I know very clearly what it's trying to say about mental illness and about isolation and about violence and you know about ignoring people like this. Also about your upbringing. This is yes. a very important point that I don't think a lot of people have actually discussed. Well, they don't really linger on the childhood abuse stuff. But it's so important to the character. I think more than anything. I think this is the most important thing that shaped him as to who he was. Yeah. And not only that, but like like the, I guess, like suffering the sins in this case, the sins of your mother. Yeah, and how it just it, it crept on it crept up on him, and he never actually knew how bad it was until it was way too late. Yeah, it's actually it's, and it is tragic. Sure, like, it, it honestly is a very very tragic story because you could see like oh my god, had it not started here, maybe that is where it all started, which is with his mother being a complete nut job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think what what they say. I mean, Mindhunter talks about this a lot. Is that people don't really come out of the womb this way. No, you know, uh, very rarely does someone just become evil after they were born. It's usually the result of abuse. And I know it's kind of a cliche to be like, oh, it's just mommy issues again. But but you know what? Yeah. Sometimes it just is mommy issues. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like the reason why we see that theme over and over again in film is because it's a real thing that filmmakers deal with. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have issues with mommy and dad. Everybody kind of does. Yeah. In a lot of ways. I mean, these characters absolutely do. That's a scientific fact. Sure. Yeah. A woman should not scorn her own son. If she does, he will become violent and depraved. Period. What is that from? Kemper. Oh, that's Kemper. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. I love that you can quote Ed Kemper I on a podcast. Lo- I am quoting Ed Kemper here on <laughs> the movie Hall of Fame or movie hopping, whatever you want to call My it. My hero, Ed Kemper. <laughs> the most charismatic of all serial killers. Oh, my God. Such a pleasure. I'm going to get beers with that guy. Yeah. I'd like to hit the links with that guy, wouldn't you? Play I, Quick Nine. I, I, you know, I, ju- I just like Mindhunter. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I like Mindhunter a yeah, lot. Sure, yeah, sure. That's it. That's all it is. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, that stuff is, it's a moment. They don't really linger on it all that much. They just sort of hint at it. Um, but, but point being, has a lot of stuff to say about the character. Um, in terms of him as a catalyst for more violence, that's some of the stuff, again, I don't have an opinion on it one way or the other. It just felt to me a little, uh, um, not well thought through. Is that fair? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I, that's that's another one of those details I wanted to stew on because it's very much leaving you with that. Yeah. Where it's like, it, it, it's almost asking the question, like, what really cause, causes this violence? Is it directly the Joker or is it the society that they're stuck in? Yeah. Because it's, it's, 
it's I mean throwing those details out there the entire runtime where it's like you can see people are all quite oppressed and and conflicted and angry and this is just the one man to push them over the edge you don't necessarily know that he's the one to rally them together yeah necessarily but in and I guess that that's again that's the thing that the movie wants wants to leave you with is it the is it one person or is it or is it everyone else who is kind of forcing these people to get down to that level right yeah. And then the film explores that even further as to what the ramifications will, of that will be with, I guess, with the Bruce Wayne character at the very end and right. his, his thought of the kid. It, it's not, I don't think it's bad. It just, you know, it takes a lot, it takes a little bit more thought. I yeah, suppose. maybe I need to stew on it and like, it'll come to me. I, I, my gut reaction was, oh, I don't really know what you're trying to say here. Mm-hmm. And that's not great for a movie that goes for it. Like you have to dot those I's and cross the T's. Like you can't just be lazy about it and be like, oh, it's. And I'm just asking questions, man. Mm-hmm. Like the movie clearly had a point of view up until that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand like in the scene with Mark Maron, uh, <laughs> I love that Mark Maron's in this movie, by yeah. the way. Uh, he he tells De Niro like, yeah, I don't have a political ideology. I'm, I'm non-political. When, and, he, when he says, oh, I don't believe in anything. I'm just like, oh, right. God. Yeah, there he is. And I understand he said that, but like people are going to naturally compare the uh the clown protesters to occupy wall street like it's very explicitly that maybe not occupy wall street let's say antifa uh-huh. like it's very explicitly like this is a far left group that hates the one percent mm-hmm. and that wants to see them topple yes um and the movie doesn't really ascribe an ideology to them they just say they they claim to have an ideology but really all they want to do is exercise violence um, I mean, maybe that's the point, though. Maybe it's the the, the idea that they, these people don't really fully understand what they believe in. Yeah, and it's like if you're if you're putting all of your your spear into just this one man, I mean, that's a problem in and of itself, right? Because of how flawed this human being actually is. Yeah. Uh, so. Again, I don't think like that's an illegitimate point to make. Like, if you want to argue that as a filmmaker, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, feels like it's incomplete, though, doesn't it? Could be. You know, I don't know. I really don't know. Like to say that so. those people don't have an ideology is kind of selling them short. Like I understand the Joker doesn't, but I, I one of the evil things, or um, evil's the wrong word. One of the trouble troubles with society now, and the reason that we have uh, a a uh, a violent and contentious political system now yes. is because people strongly believe things. And they are unwilling to listen, mm-hmm. right? It's the ideology itself is toxic. But this is the thing. Like, I th- maybe that's just what the movie's trying to say at the end of the day. Where it's yeah, like, but they, they believe in it. I think they do believe in. They what, believe in what? They believe in what they're doing to. In or, I guess in order to topple the. I mean, you're saying the, the the whole point is that it's. I mean, kind of focused with Antifa, or that's what they're drawing from. Seems like it, right? And and they rally behind. You get what you deserve, right? That whole point. And it's like they they strongly believe in that because of how they feel like that upper class has oppressed them when at the end of the day, they haven't really reflected on this ideology that they've latched onto. Yeah. They just know that it feels right to them, even if it's fundamentally flawed. Sure. And I guess Joker represents that ideology. Right. Even though, like I said, the ideology, which I guess, which is what he represents is completely, it's nothing. Right. It doesn't matter. It, it's completely removed from the point. His point is, is something else entirely. Mm. It's an actual evil and it goes and does its own thing. Right. Uh, wow, that's a very cynical way of thinking about it, though, isn't it? This is a cynical movie. <laughs> this is a, what do you mean? It's a cynical idea. <laughs> of course, it's a cynical yeah, idea. It's a cynical, nihilistic way of thinking about it. That's the point. Yeah, that's, um, the, that's the point. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't. And listen, I don't need to buy it in order to no. take the movie for what it is. I don't agree with a lot of movies I see. Um, 
But, you know, that that's just the one detail that I was hung up on. I don't like when a movie goes for it, but that doesn't do the work in order to back it up. Sure. I, I did... I, but again, and that's it, not really the point, though. The point... This is a character study about Arthur Fleck. Yes, yes. And I thought every decision that they made on a character level was, was earned. Yeah. Oh, God. I thought it was, all, like, pretty much brilliant. Yeah. And I, I I do like that final image, though, with um, with them cheering for him. It's just the, the, the shot of the... The fact that society is cheering for this man, yeah. this thing of a man, yeah. is really scary stuff. Sure. And it's it says a lot about people, and I would hope you would learn something from seeing that image. Yeah. You wouldn't just... You you in the in the audience would not be like, yeah, Joker, good for you. It's like, no. <laughs> Here's my question. Do critics actually think that of people? I don't know, and I I, I hope they don't. Like when a critic says, because I saw a tweet the other day um, and the guy said this was a critic who was very um, anti Joker. Mm -hmm. The tweet said um, irresponsibly sympathizing with incels does not equal and he did a little equal sign with a slash through it does not equal moral ambiguity is bad. (laughs) So he seemed to say, like, we can criticize the movie while still defending moral ambiguity. I actually don't think that's true. I think that's exactly what you're doing here. Yes. Because to say that this movie is somehow irresponsibly condoning the actions of incels is to say that people are going to the theater and feeling catharsis when the Joker shoots De Niro in the head. No. You know what I mean? And, like, how stupid do they think, like, film goers are? Well, that that's actually an even better question. I think, like, you what, know? what do they think of audiences? Because I I walked out of that thing like I don't understand how anyone would want to be this man, right? Or connect to him, or want to carry out his actions. I think it's it's too it's it's horrifying. It really is. But it doesn't mean you don't feel bad for him. This is the thing that people can't separate in their heads. Though. I know. They, I it's know. impossible for them to do it. It's very easy for us to do it. Right. And I think it's very easy for audiences to do it. Yes. But for some reason, we're trained to do it. Yes. But critics just maybe maybe this is the movie that really separates critics and audiences forever now. I don't know. In a way, huh. it's in a way it's more obvious here than it's ever been before. Where it's like where it's just like the 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 criticisms being hailed at this movie. It feels like these people have lost their minds. Do you know who Chuck <laughs> Klosterman is? No. Okay. Um, one of the great pop culture writers on the planet. He's <laughs> just um incredible. I've I've read all of his books. He's just amazing. Um, he was on the Bill Simmons podcast this week talking about the Joker controversy. And they were talking about that Hollywood Reporter article. Um, yeah. The debate between all the critics about mm-hmm. does the movie have a responsibility to be moral? And Klosterman had an interesting observation, which was critics generally are not very creative people. And that's not necessarily their fault, but like there are certain people that set out to make movies and that have something to get off their chest and they do the thing they do. They have creative endeavors. They write books, they make TV shows, whatever they make music critics. Their livelihoods are about analyzing that music and analyzing those movies and putting them in a larger cultural context. That's their job and it's not their fault. Mm -hmm. That's what they are hired to do. And I think critics assume that when some when a screenwriter or a director makes a film, they would make it in the same way. Okay. So they're interested in, for example, uh, political unrest or a changing culture or 
you know, the left versus the right. Like this is stuff that critics are interested in because their job is to analyze the culture. And filmmakers generally more often than not are just interested in getting something off their chest. They're just interested in saying something about themselves. Yes. And so when a critic watches a movie that again, Todd Phillips made this movie for him. Mm-hmm. Oh God. Yeah. When a critic sees it, they think, oh, if I was a filmmaker, I would be making it as a statement about society in general. Mm-hmm. And I just think there's a general disconnect there. Critics are used to writing things and they say what they mean. Mm-hmm. That's the more that's the more specific thing. When a critic writes something, they're saying what they mean. Okay. When a filmmaker writes a line of dialogue and puts it in a character's mouth, it doesn't mean they agree with the line. All right. Right? That's the difference. And that's something that I've been talking about, I think, on this podcast for quite some time. When a musician writes a lyric, when a stand-up tells a joke, <laughs> yeah. they don't necessarily mean the joke. It's art. It's performative. It's fake. Mm-hmm. We're, we are engaging in theater here. Yes. So when somebody says, you know, the movie has an obligation to be moral, how do you know? Like, what, what's your criteria to say the movie is moral or immoral? That's true. You know, the filmmaker is lying to you because they're making a movie. The filmmaker is playing a trick on you. It's not real. It's not real, right? So the morals of the film, the ethics of the film, the message of the film is hidden beneath layers and layers and layers of falseness. Okay. It's buried under layers and layers of layers of of insincerity. And only at the bottom do you really see the sincerity. So is the idea to make a moral film, can you no longer include immoral characters mm-hmm. can you only put moral things in the mouths of your characters this happens with tarantino all the time true is he only allowed to write movies about good people is he not allowed to use certain vocabulary because you know only bad people use that vocabulary okay right in order to dissect the morality of a film you have to dig a little deeper you know so i i always push up against this idea this person has to be moral this person has to say what they believe that's not filmmaking no no, not at all. So, of course, Todd Phillips doesn't agree with the character of Arthur Fleck. Of course, he doesn't think Arthur Fleck is a good guy. But I don't think critics think about the world that way. And it's not necessarily their fault, but that's the type of people they are. I think it's Todd Phillips' responsibility as a filmmaker to sometimes show these immoral things. Sure. Not as a critic, though. Yeah, that's true. You know? that's a, <laughs> I love that point. Yeah. That's a great way of looking at it. Yeah. I never would have thought of that. It, it, critics are just... They are writing dissertations about culture and filmmakers aren't they don't think about movies that way you know what critics you just don't get it (laughs) you just don't get it (laughs) uh i think that'll do it yeah that's great what do you think i love that that'll do it for a joker podcast huh i'm I'm happy with that i'm happy with this movie i really i might love this movie yeah i think i love this i need to stew on it more i need to see it again yeah oh yeah me too um wow yeah Okay. I'm glad it exists. How about that? Very happy it exists, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm, I'm more happy it exists more than anything. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's my favorite of the year. It's going to make the top 10 list, I think, though. Yeah, it might, too. Assuredly, it'll be on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there we go. That's a podcast. Wow. Oh, by the way. What's up? Real quick. I saw another movie. You uh, did? Uh, yeah, I watched it on Amazon. It's called uh, Under the Silver Lake. Oh, uh, fucking uh, the David Robert uh, Mitchell. Mitchell film. Yes. Yeah, how was it? Um... Not good. Okay. Very ungood. Okay. But super fucking interesting. All right. How about that? Okay. Yeah. I've, I've been meaning to see that one. Really bad. Uh, very long. Okay. Um, 
kind of a weirder version of Inherent Vice. Okay. Which is the exact type of movie that I despise, which is a movie that thinks it's smarter than it actually is. I'd, I'd like to see this movie. Hey, I hate it. Like, it's just like a mystery with way too much plot, and the plot doesn't make any sense. Like, halfway through the movie, what I realized, I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh, this movie isn't going to go anywhere. <laughs> and I'm right. Sure enough, an hour and a half later, the movie doesn't go anywhere, or at least wherever it goes, it's not very satisfying. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this movie's just total bullshit. But I cannot deny, super fucking entertaining. Okay. I mean, I heard a lot of people compare it to The Big Lebowski, and I was like... Yeah, they wish. All right. David Robert Mitchell fucking wishes, okay? He wishes. What if I see it and love the movie? You might. It's very possible you might. It's a total bullshit film, though. All right. It's fucking full of shit, dude. I'll have to to see it. This movie is so far up its own ass. It's crazy. (laughs) No, it's it's Inherent Vice. It is. Oh, it's a, a worse version. I liked Inherent Vice more, and I hated wow. Inherent Vice. Ooh. See, Inherent Vice is boring to me. That's yeah. part of the thing that holds that one back to me, is that it's just nonsense, but it's it's boring nonsense. Yeah. So Well, Under the Silver Lake, I will say, is fairly entertaining. And I don't know why. <laughs> um, I mean, Andrew Garfield is fun. Yeah, okay. Um, and the direction is cool. And it's A24, so like, there's a general level of production value that you come to expect. Okay. So there's a, like a quality assurance there. All right, all right. Um, Should he just go back to making horror films? Yes. Okay. Definitely. Fine. Because I love It Follows. I love It Follows too. I think It Follows is awesome. Yes. Um, it's a dope film. Every a lot of people I've I've shown that one to fucking love it. Zach doesn't love it though. Zach hates that movie. Yeah, he's weird. Yeah, I know. It's all right. He's in the military now. I have. It's fine. It's funny. I've actually come across a lot of people though, like like online who really hate the movie. I've seen entire. It video- follows. I've seen entire videos devoted to why the movie sucks. Really? Yeah. Tarantino once uh, he do, he doesn't dislike the film. He's like it's frustratingly close to being a great movie, and he like wrote like a little article himself about why it's so close to being a great movie. By the way, uh, new conversation piece between Tarantino and Scorsese. I think it was in like the Directors Guild magazine or something oh, like that. Oh, yeah, fun wow, time. fun time. Okay, I mean f- just fun because like you can read Tarantino called Martin Scorsese Marty, and it just makes you very happy. You know, Marty, you were actually one of the great filmmakers of the 70s. You don't say, Quentin. <laughs> did he actually say that? No. Oh, he goes, when I think of the great filmmakers of the 70s and 80s, I think about you, Marty. Uh, sometimes Tarantino's a little... <laughs> no, but he's a fanboy, though. It was it was sincere. You know? That's okay. It was, it's like, that's how I would be talking to Martin Scorsese if, like, I was, you know, if I considered myself friends with the man. Right. Was he doing more than just jacking him off? Yeah, I mean it was a cool it was a cool combo. Okay. I mean, get ready for Tarantino versus Scorsese for best director. That's where this is going, yeah, you know. No, you're right. This is where it's going. I can't believe that's actually gonna happen. What a world. I know. What a great what a great fucking year. It's actually it turned for some reason all of a sudden I haven't seen as many films this year, but yeah. this Oscar season really really saved it. How fun is this? Yeah. This is gonna be the most fun Oscar season. <laughs> Scorsese <laughs> and Tarantino against each other for best director? He's literally like a newer version of uh, Scorsese. Like like you know, the, the child of Scorsese, yeah, in a, in a lot of ways, two like icons, man. It's great. I'm happy. Dude, I'd be happy. very upset if like Greta Gerwig won Best Director. You know what I mean? Even though I love Greta Gerwig, that would make me very upset. I don't know how I would react to that. If they just get, you know what I mean? It'd be interesting. It'd be different. What if Todd Phillips won? He would never that win. Would never happen. But what if he did? Win? That's not happen. Holy shit! If Todd Phillips won for Joker, I think we all need to just squash the idea of an Oscar campaign for Joker right now. 
Yes. This is not happening. Unfortunately, yes. I like. I, I'm serious. I, re- I, I think Joaquin is probably the best performance I've seen this year, but I just don't think it's in. It, it's something the Oscars are going to love. Look, we got a lot of year left, man. Yes, we got a lot of year left. A lot of movies still to come out, so we'll see where this goes. I know. Uh, all right, this has been movie hopping. We will be doing um, an El Camino podcast. Is that what we're doing next? L- later this week, maybe. What we do you could, think? Well, we could try. <laughs> yeah, it comes out Friday. Okay. So um, we gave this one to you early, so, you know, okay. give us some time now. All right, all right. But I think we got to do El Camino, and then uh, we'll resume with our regularly scheduled programming. When are we doing that? The regular? Well, two weeks. Okay. Take some time. All right, all right. Have you watched any of those movies yet? No. Okay. What were the movies that I needed to watch again? Manchurian Candidate, you got to see. Uh... Was that it? I think there was one more. I don't know what it was, though. Have you seen Dr. No? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. You're the one who needs to see more. I think I just needed to see the Manchurian I got to watch The Longest Day. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird? I haven't seen that since I was a kid. Okay. So maybe I could do that. Yeah, maybe. All right. Yeah. That that The year night, what is it, 1962 we're doing? Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. The Longest Day and uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, right. <laughs> Lolita. Yeah. I still think you should rewatch uh, Lawrence of Arabia. But... Right. I'll see if I have time in the yeah. next three weeks. Yeah, maybe if I start now, I'll finish <laughs> by by the next time we <laughs> just record. Be locked in your room. Yeah, your parents are gonna have to bring you food. Yeah, and change your bedpan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is it. The movie having. Uh, go to the website tmt.media or too many Listen and subscribe to our other shows, including mm-hmm. Why Is This a Thing, mm-hmm. which uh, we're in the midst of a Halloween spooktacular. Yes, we are on that show. Check it out. Nick uh, Evangelista does that show with us. And that's it. Yeah. We, we love you so very, very much, don't we, Adam Hall? Yes, we do. Yeah, we do. Absolutely. And until next time. Uh, well, happy movie hopping. <laughs> <laughs>